adventurers. I'm Brittany North and welcome to the North Paws Wilderness podcast. Today I have Pavlina with me. Pavlina, I'm so excited to have you here today. We're going to be talking about being safe in the backcountry. You know, I've had a handful of clients over the years start to take trips out west or into Canada and all other parts of the U.S. and even internationally. I'd really like to talk today about how we can be safe and mindful and prepare for going into the backcountry. And Pavlina is the expert on this. So Pavlina, go ahead, introduce yourself. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Hi, Brittany. Thanks for having me on. Um, I'm a digital content creator from the Yukon, Canada, which is uh, right next to Alaska. We have some of North America's most remote backcountry here with a territory about the size of Texas with only 45,000 people. So lots of space to spread out. Um, but that does include a lot of responsibility in how we interact with the backcountry safely and responsibly. So I'm happy to talk about that subject with you today. I love that. And I, I never realized that there's that amount of people in the size of Texas in the Yukon. That, that's fascinating. Yeah, it's uh, our population actually just grew by um, 12 hundred people and um, we're all up in arms about it because that's a big increase percentage wise. <laughs> I'm sure. So if you need to go anywhere, do you have to hike quite a ways to get there? Nope. No, nope. you can pretty much walk out of uh, your front door in the capital city and be um, within access of, of green spaces with bears and foxes and lynx and coyote. So um, for those of us that like that type of lifestyle, it's an absolute dream. So you're in my mind, and I hope yours too, you're quite the the expert of being in the backcountry because that's where you live and you've grown up there. I want to help people try and learn and be conscientious about the steps it takes in terms of safety to be in the backcountry. And I'd love to ask you, what are some tips or maybe like your top three pieces of advice of, of preparing to go in the backcountry or even if someone has a dog with them? Yeah, that's this is a really good question. And I'd like to start by saying I don't know that I am an expert. I am certainly someone that um, by by the time I was three months old, I was deep, deep in the Yukon bush with my family. Um, we're subsistence hunters. So I grew up spending large amounts of time on the land in the backcountry doing various activities. Mm -hmm. But every year I learn something new. And every year I'm kind of humbled by that opportunity to learn and be challenged. So I guess in terms of my tips for being safe in the backcountry, I can only really reflect on kind of three things that I've learned this year or three sure. learning outcomes that really um, stood out to me. And, and those are kind of three different instances. So I would say the first one is that it's really important to trust your gut. And that that is going to depend on your level of experience and the level of experience in the group that you're out there with. So I was recently in the summer, we had a really glorious hot summer here in the Yukon. And so I went out for a long weekend in kind of a front country camping area. And I wasn't too worried about safety because I was in an area that was close to a highway. There was about 15 other campers in in a adjacent area, which is pretty rare here in the Yukon. So I was feeling really safe. Mm -hmm. um, and I was frying up some fish and I was maybe not keeping my cooking area as clean as I, I normally would 
I also generally try not to cook fish if I'm in uh, a really dangerous or like a, a like a really exposed backcountry area because it is such sure. an attractive. But I was feeling safe. And then, of course, what happened? A black bear snuck up behind me, and it was mm. only because of the people camped like quite close to me that I was aware of it because it, it was I had my back turned to it. And this black bear did not demonstrate any um, kind of normal behavior of being scared or or yeah yeah he was like he was very sensitized to human activity he was clearly mm. seeking human activity as a source of food and in that moment i really second guessed myself as to what to do because a lot of the campers in the area were acting as not a big deal and i was thinking like if there is a habituated black bear in the area exhibiting mm. kind of predatory behavior then I want to get out of that situation. Um, but I did totally second guess myself in the moment. And then in the end, I did trust my gut and I, I left that situation. But in real time, I think it's a lot harder to have confidence in your own experience and know that just because oh, yeah. other people are acting like this is fine and safe, if I don't feel fine and safe, then I really encourage people to to follow that. And so if if you were talking about dogs out in the wilderness, if, if you're not feeling comfortable with maybe the environment that you're in, in the, the hike or camping trip you're on, you know your dog best. You have to make that decision. Don't mm -hmm. trust someone who doesn't know you, doesn't know your experience, and doesn't know your dog's behavior in that environment to kind of decide mm -hmm. what you do. So so that that's kind of the first thing that I would really encourage people to think about. What a, a strange experience that must have been. I feel like if I encountered a black bear that wasn't, you know, a bit skittish and it seemed like it sounds like this one was confident, uh, that would really catch me off guard. And I think if I had a dog with me, well, whether the the bear was skittish or not, the first thing I would do is throw a leash on my dog if it didn't already have a leash on just so that I can be a little bit more in control of the situation. But how strange that this bear was uh, confident with humans. Is, is that common in the Yukon for people to possibly be interacting with wildlife and potentially like feeding them? Do you think maybe that's why this bear was more comfortable around people? Yeah, I mean, it is. Interactions with wildlife are extremely common here. Um, one of the statistics Yukoners sure. like to talk about is that there's twice as many moose as people. And so anytime that you're mm. going to be going out, um, you kind of have to assume that you're going to run into wildlife. And that that kind of, mm -hmm. like, probably my, my third and most important takeaway from this year is, and, and not just from this year, but in, in how I like to interact with the backcountry, is that you really have to take responsibility for your presence. And so if you know mm. you're going to interact with, you might run into a moose, you might run into a bear, you might run into a caribou, you might run into a, a, a goat, a sheep, a porcupine. You need to take responsibility for your presence in that situation so that you're not compromising the safety and integrity of that wildlife you're interacting with. And that means having control over your pet. So there's, there is nothing mm. worse. We have an entire season here um, throughout the months of May and June where sheep and goat are lambing, they're having kits, they're having their babies, and it's an incredibly stressful and vulnerable time for them. And so there's actually a lot mm -hmm. of popular hiking trails that are completely closed off to people. And in addition, that's a time when it's really emphasized that even if your pet has generally good recall, please keep them on a leash. Because even the act of yeah. just chasing wildlife causes a huge amount of stress on them. It puts their life at risk, whether or not it's directly or indirectly, just due to, to stress, to 
getting into a situation that they don't want to, getting into some terrain that they wouldn't have otherwise gone into. But that's your responsibility as the owner. Yeah, I agree. And I wish people saw it that way more. And hopefully just this conversation helps people understand that. Just the other week, I was taking my dogs for a walk through a nearby park. And I saw this woman like take the leash off of her dog so that the dog could go and run after this gigantic flock of geese you know that are migrating south right now and in my heart I'm like oh those poor geese Mm -hmm. like they must be so stressed and like so traumatized and to me I'm like what benefit did we gain from letting this dog off leash to traumatize these geese and then the dog had no recall after that so it was just fascinating to watch and I'm glad it was in a city park and not somewhere like the Yukon yeah and I think it's a it's a real um domino effect and I've I've had those temptations Mm. as well I I had a West Highland Terrier for 15 years who absolutely lived his best off-leash life and I, I know that temptation because it would just be a really satisfying moment but a good rule of thumb that I practiced mm-hmm. is that imagine every animal is a porcupine. And so if you don't mm. want your dog to go and bump into or try and bite a porcupine and come back with 30 quills and have to go to the vet to have them removed, then don't let them off leash. Yeah, I think I remember hearing you say that in one of your Instagram videos. And in my mind, I was just like, such a big aha moment like that is spectacular that is like just a great metaphor and pretending everyone is a porcupine (laughs) being mindful of the animals that are around you that you could encounter and I think too it's good for people like if you are going to a new place that you've never been to before I think it's good to be conscientious of like what kind of animals live there because they may not live where you come from so I'm in Minnesota if I go to the Yukon I'm going to see a heck of a lot more moose than I would see here or if someone is from down south and they go anywhere in Canada they're going to see something very different than they would at home so I think being aware of what animals you might encounter and what the best practices are when you do encounter them. Yeah, Brittany, I think that's a really good point because even though I have a lot of camping um, and on the land experience, for example, I went to Australia a few years ago and I was camping in Tasmania. Mm. I, I was not confident in the same way that I would be confident here. You know, I, I don't know sure. a lot about the flora and fauna of Tasmania. And so I made a really big point of researching and not being overconfident, recognizing that it was a totally different environment. And here in the Yukon, we have a lot of Americans traveling up the Alaska Highway each season to go Mm. um, either as tourists or as seasonal workers to Alaska. And that's usually where we see a lot of unfortunate encounters because they're they're people maybe from the lower 48 that just aren't familiar with what they might encounter in the Yukon or Alaska. And, And so you make a really great point. It's important to research the environment you're going into and then also not have this sense of overconfidence based on your experience and where you live per se. I think too like even being familiar with where you live at least in my experience like there have been times where I go into the boundary waters and you just kind of get lost in the beauty and you get lost in the calm and and the zen of it all and you're confident in your paddling and your camping and your skills and I think sometimes when we are confident even in our own back doors our backyards that 
we kind of let our, our guard down a little bit. And I think that's a perfect recipe for, for accidents to happen. Do you ever have anything like that happen to you? Yeah, that's, that's actually, I'm really glad you brought that up because that was kind of my, my other takeaway or my other piece of advice from my experience this year. And and that's don't, don't mm. have an over inflated sense of self-confidence out in the bush. And I know that's hard for people yeah. because you don't want to feel unsafe. You don't want to be living in this constant state of anxiety and fear. But I had this experience mm-hmm. this this fall that I've talked about on my page where we were on a six night like overnight backpacking trip pretty deep into the backcountry. And it was an area that I've been to for the last like 20, 25 years. I feel like I know the the animals in this area really well. I've seen grizzly bears in this area in the past. I've never had a negative encounter. But this year, lo and behold, on our sixth day, we woke up to a sow grizzly bear that was exhibiting kind of very curious um, to borderline aggressive behavior. And we had a 35 minute standoff with her. Um, And, you know, it was reflecting on that experience. It all ended well. She eventually moved Mm -hmm. off and we left. Um, But in that moment, I was very uncomfortable because it became really clear to me that um, that grizzly bear was making the decision about how bad this situation mm-hmm. was going to get there. She wasn't deterred by any of the bear um, precautions that we had. Like we did everything right. Textbook. On your Instagram, you talk about something called a, a bear banger. I learned that from you. I've never, ever seen one of those before. Just bear spray. Can you talk real quick about what a bear banger is and how that can be handy to have in your in your pocket? Yeah, so a bear banger is something that's really common here in the Yukon. It's a device that is the same size and shape as a pencil. And on top, mm-hmm. you screw a little flare on top. And, and when, you, um, when you release the trigger... It emits like a very loud gunshot sound. You can also buy flare Mm. versions in case you're in an emergency situation and you need someone to be able to find you. And in conjunction with bear spray, that's like the primary source of bear defense a lot of Yukoners use when we're out interacting in the backcountry. So I had my bear banger. We had bear spray. We did have a rifle, you know, and we were taking like extreme bear safe precautions with with food and cooking Mm -hmm. areas. And yet we still had this encounter where we were not in charge of whether or not that was going to be like potentially really bad. You know, like I I don't want to say a potential mauling, but that was certainly something that I was Mm -hmm. like, okay, if she comes at us, how much further does this escalate? And what what I really took away from that experience is that it didn't matter that I had done everything right. It didn't matter that I had 35 years of experience in the backcountry and had done everything right. We still found ourselves in this situation. And I think it's really important to just acknowledge the risk when you're going out into these situations. Acknowledge that you can do everything Mm -hmm. right and you still may have an encounter that you're not comfortable with. And it's just important to be aware of that. Yeah, I like that you bring that up, that you can do everything right and shit can still hit the fan. In, in 35 minutes with a grizzly, like that, that must have felt like centuries. Yes, I think I aged about two years. <laughs> oh my gosh, like just even thinking about that, that sounds so traumatic. Like, did it take you a while to be able to, you know, get back to a, a neutralized heart rate after that? Yeah, I, yeah, it did. Um, I, I had a very mm, close, I'll say a close encounter with a grizzly bear when I was 13 um, that, that mm-hmm. laid hands on my dad and charged me when oh, we were wow. caribou hunting. <clears throat> and that experience took me 
like we we were still out in the backcountry. We we finished our trip. It was like another five nights. We had to go back to the same place the grizzly bear charged us the next day. But that experience kind of made me very wary about bears, maybe more so than people who've never had a yeah. real close encounter. I like to say I have a very healthy respect and fear of bears. It never has stopped me from going and interacting in the wild, but it's something I'm mindful of. Mm-hmm. And this, this experience, I've had many kind of bear encounters in between the one when I was 13 and this year. Um, I would say this year was was probably like the second closest bear encounter I've had. And luckily we were, I mean, we were decamping that day anyway. So we mm-hmm. went back down to where our vehicle was at base camp. We had to hike out in the same direction that the grizzly bear had gone. Um, so so oh, that wow. was a very kind of tense experience. And I, I mean, I did two things that I would recommend if anyone really finds themselves in a, in a very serious situation. And that is one, I did not overthink it. I was with my partner at the time mm-hmm. and he was like, what, like, whoa, what just happened? And I said, this is not the time to unpack this. I learned this from a competitive sport background. You have to park it sure. and you can take it out of the parking lot later. But right now we are, we are not free and clear. So one, I just really yeah. compartmentalized the experience and focused on what do we need to do to safely fully get out of this situation? Because just because this grizzly bear is gone, it does not mean that this encounter is over. Um, and then the second yeah. thing I did is that I, I always have my inReach device. And I sent a message to my dad, who was uh, actually fortunately meeting us the next day. But I sent a transmission to just say what had happened and what we were doing next. Because uh, unfortunately, in some of these more severe and extreme situations, there's gaps in the story and it's really hard to put Mm. together like what actually happened in the, in the immediate 12 hours, six hours, two hours um, before something negative had happened. So I just, it wasn't a panicky message. It wasn't an SOS. I said, we've had this 35 minute encounter with a grizzly bear that wasn't exhibiting kind of um, fearful behavior we are hiking mm-hmm. out now in the same direction they have gone. We plan to be back at our vehicle at 6 p.m. Yeah, and I like that you were detailed in that message. And I try to convey that to anyone that asks me about outdoor things is that if I need to send a message, it's not filled with panic unless I am panicked, <laughs> unless there is an actual emergency. But I like to keep it uh, very direct, like, this is what happened. This is when I should be, you know, back to my vehicle or in town or whatever. And this is when I will be in contact with you. Or if you don't hear from me by this time, I think those messages are super, super important. Yeah. And I was really grateful that we had, you know, we, I always let people know when we're, where, where our vehicle is going to be, when we're expected to be back. Yeah. I make sure that like my, my mom is my safety contact. So she has a copy of my license plate, a photo of my vehicle. She has a photo of my vehicle mm-hmm. with the license plate. If they ever had to submit to emergency services, that they would know what they're right. looking for. So, I mean, there's a bunch of stuff that are just, they're, they're kind of safety precautions that aren't important until they suddenly are very important. Um, and it, it doesn't mean you're not going to end up in a risky situation, but they sure make you feel better if you are. Right. I, I'd rather, you know, over-prepare than under-prepare. Absolutely. And... A tip that I like to give out to people too is if I'm going to be gone for, you know, X amount of time, I'll even put a bag, like a sealed bag of dirty clothes in my car so that if search and rescue did have to come out, then the dogs could easily 
sniff a bag of dirty clothes and hopefully that would help them. That's a really good tip. <laughs> and, yeah, and, I hadn't thought the, of that. Yeah, that's yeah. I mean, I'm sure they could go off the smell in someone's car, but maybe, you know, a bag of clothes is a little bit more potent. So you talked about you were, you were cooking fish and, and that there were a good amount of people, other campers around you. Because there were so many people uh, in, in in a small area, it sounds like, or a small-ish area, do you ever like talk with other campers around you and be and come up with a plan of, hey, this is where we should all dump, you know, our, our cooking uh, remnants or our waste at all? Yeah, there's usually, uh, in, a, in a Yukon government campground, there's a designated gray water zone. And oh, sure. So that's, that's usually a really good place to like look for um, a fire, like your fire pit. If it, if there is, there was a, a ban on campfires this season here in the Yukon because of the wildland fire risk, but typically like pouring mm-hmm. out any um, scented dishwater in your fire pit where you, you'd have a fire that evening or the next day is a good idea. In this situation, it was a bit more of like, it was a unofficial campsite that's quite popular regardless. Sure. And so I just mm-hmm. usually stick to the plan of, of, um, putting my dirty dishwater in the in the fire pit, which that like there was a fire pit around there. But communicating with your campers is a really good plan. Certainly, like when I saw the bear with the black bear. So we are talking about two different bear encounters this season. But when there were in the instance where I was cooking fish and there was multiple campers, I, you know, I I went around and talked to my neighbors and said, hey, like there is a a bear and. Most of them were tourists, so I was kind of saying, in my experience mm. here in the Yukon, this isn't normal bear behavior. Like, please be aware. There was one one person with a, I think they were traveling up to Alaska. They had like a Shih Tzu, so I really wanted to make sure that they were aware. So oh, they were geez. they were keeping their pet like in yeah. the camper with them, which they they totally were. But yeah, yeah I, it, it, if you see something, say something. That's a good rule. On your social media accounts, you talk about you know when when you. It, it, encounter wildlife that your your first response isn't to grab for your rifle and I really appreciate that about you and I think a lot of people would severely disagree with that Mm. um can you talk a little bit more about that I think it's an important thing to talk about and that is that I have spent a lot of time in the bush Uh, as I mentioned I'm a subsistence hunter which means that we, we hunt usually a moose and a caribou a year to feed our family. We use all parts mm-hmm. of the animal. And I, I think regardless of whether or not you're a hunter, the experience of spending a huge amount of times in the bush and observing wildlife, you, you can't do that without developing a really profound love and respect for the animal kingdom. And so we've watched mm-hmm. grizzly bears interact with their young and do somersaults and chase after one another and gamble mm-hmm. and play. And it's it's such a moving experience and there's this fine line i think between anthropomorphize an animal when you have this i like to describe it as like the disney effect like when you imagine yeah, an animal exactly. is a disney character that's that's not what i'm talking about it's not having a naive mm-hmm. sense of a- animals and the threat and the reality of what they might pose but it's also not this attitude that animals don't inherently have their own lives and their own value and their own right to exist. And that's what I talk Mm -hmm. about when I say like, really take responsibility and accountability for your presence when you do go in the backcountry. Sure. So that when we're not out there to just we don't have an inherent right to disrupt and harass wildlife. 
I don't hunt. Mm -hmm. I don't use an all-terrain vehicle. I find it it is way too intrusive on the natural environment. It the the noise stresses animals out. It's hard on the mm -hmm. on the tundra and the alpine environment. So I make a choice to walk where I'm going in the backcountry, and that's not an option that's available to everyone. But those are just different mm -hmm. ways that like what is your relationship with the the backcountry? What is your relationship with wildlife? And it it doesn't always include this response that like I feel threatened, therefore I will kill something. But it isn't mm -hmm. this naivete either that, well, I'm not going to respond accordingly to save my own life if I have to. And that's that's a very difficult, nuanced conversation to have. And it really fundamentally comes down to play within your skill, play within your experience. The most dangerous thing I think... out there is someone who overestimates their experience and underestimates yes. the backcountry and just goes into mm -hmm. the deep end. It's dangerous for you and it's dangerous for the wildlife around you. So just be like, I think it's important to like reflect on who, like, what's my experience? What's my comfort level? And, and play in that space. That is just the most perfect way to explain that, I think. Thank you for that. Any other tips that you want people to learn about being in the backcountry and how to be safe? Well, I think because we're talking about, um, I mean, probably your listeners are, are dog owners and looking for dog-specific tips. Um, I'll share a little bit of my experience. I had a West Highland Terrier for 15 years, which is perhaps not the breed of choice when you're thinking um, about the Yukon mm -hmm. wilderness. And uh, it was a it was a lifelong effort to keep Oliver alive in the backcountry. Coyotes would pick him up, eagles would swoop him, ravens would swoop him. It, it was wow. it was a response. <laughs> I had to really take responsibility to keep him alive and to keep the wildlife yeah. safe. So I, I would say, understand your pet, understand what the risks are, understand how they're going to behave. Don't just like throw them in a situation like like don't just show up at a national park mm -hmm. and take them off leash and say, I, I guess we'll yes. see how they're going to react oh if they run into a bear or a uh -huh. porcupine. And then the other thing is that now my dad has a Czech German shepherd, uh, Liba, who is just about three years old and we're working really hard on on training to be a good bush companion, a good uh, hunting companion. Mm -hmm. And it really is a, a multi-year process and it involves a lot yes. of work and a lot of baby steps so she's three years old and this was the first year that we took her out on a hunt mm -hmm. and it was it was a very mm -hmm. kind of we recognized that the hunt was not the objective the objective was to see how she would react and and work with her on our expectations of her behavior. But it is, if you want to be responsible with your pet in the backcountry, it is a big responsibility. You will never regret it. Be mindful about it. Put some work into it. Uh, and then again, play within your, your field of strength and experience. Two things you said that I really want to point out. You said baby set steps and that you'll really enjoy it. The time and effort and work that goes into training your dog, whether it's a pet dog and you're never going into the back country, or it is your adventure dog and you can't wait to go to the Yukon someday. It takes so much work. And I really want people to know that, especially when we live in an age where everyone and their mom has a dog nowadays, 
putting the work and the effort and the time and the patience, the patience into it. There's so much joy on on the other end of that. And I like that you mentioned that Libra is three. It takes literally years. Like my Malamute, she's four. And the amount of hours I've put into training that dog is, I don't even want to know the tallied up number. It, It took a long time to be able to train that dog. And she was a little bit challenging. And I mean, I I want people to really know that you're signing up for potentially years of work with a dog, especially when you want them to do something like your dad's dog, being able to be a bush dog and to go on hunts. Yeah. And I think the best gift you can give your dog is to invest in training them so that they, they can be safe they can understand the expectations and the rules that are going to keep them alive and safe. Um, so mm-hmm. don't be daunted by the amount of work it is because it's it's the duty of care as an owner. Oh, I love that. It's the duty of care. That's perfect. I need to put that on like a shirt or something. <laughs> <laughs> Pavlina, how can we follow you on on the socials? Yeah, so uh, if, you, if you like backcountry adventures, um, we're heading into the winter season, so I'm going to be skiing a lot, um, heading north of the Arctic Circle for some adventures. You can find me on Instagram mm. or TikTok, and it's just my name. It's at Pavlina Sedrich, and that's uh, Pavlina with a V. I'll be sure to add your name in the show notes here. Okay. I'm so excited for your winter adventures every year. I love like your kick sled videos and what you wear to town and your frozen eyelashes. It's it's just, it's a joy to watch. And I just want to say thank you for all the amazing and educational content that you put out there. And thank you so much for being on the show today. Thanks for having me on, Brittany. Thank you, adventurers, for listening to this episode of the North Paws Wilderness. If you have a dog diary story you'd like to be read on air or a suggestion of who to have as a guest, please email northpawspod, that's northpawspod, at gmail.com. Be sure to subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts and follow us on social media. Until next time, happy trails and tell your dog I said hi.